Hey everyone, welcome to episode 22 of Conversations That Don't Suck. We have Melanie Aronson on the podcast today, but before I get into that, I want to say some things about COVID. Everyone's favorite topic. I am personally feeling like things are getting harder and not easier. Even though I was saying to a few friends today, uh, all of whom work in the field of loneliness in, in different capacities, whether that's through research or through apps or through more creative content creation. And I was saying that for me, this feels like, of course, I'm very used to the way that my life is right now, but I'm personally feeling um, a lot of grieving happening lately around like how much I miss just being in places with people, whether that's like on a bus or in a coffee shop or and then there are the more obvious ones like I want to go to a fucking concert and I want to be in a room with all of my friends. And those are the the obvious things. And I think we're all missing all of these things that that really just constitute our normal life. And it's likely going to be a really long time before we have the privilege of doing those things again. Um, and so I just want to say that if for you this feels like it's getting harder and not easier, that's okay. And I love you and I'm with you. I'm also feeling a lot of kind of looming, I, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but kind of this this darkness around the fact that it will likely be a long time before offices are opened again. Um, for workers to go back to. And I just think of the fact that so many people relied on their office space to be their community and that their work life was their social life. Um, And while I think most corporate spaces were already doing a pretty abhorrent job at creating community and connection in their workspaces, I'd say that's pretty true across the board for most places. Um, Maybe here in the Bay Area, there's a little bit of an exception to that in that these companies are pretty innovative and tend to put a bit more focus on connection stuff at the workplace. But even still, I mean, I was talking to a friend today who works at Facebook and they, I would say, are in the maybe like top five of the companies that focus on this. And uh, even they, he says, yeah, they're, they're not really doing that great of a job <laughs> at like keeping anyone's mental health in check. But anyways, we're not here to slander Facebook. I'm pretty much just saying all this because I, I feel really concerned about the state of mental health for people who aren't going to be going back to offices, which is most of us. And, um, yeah, and wondering, you know, where are these people going to get their connection and are companies going to invest in making sure that the mental health and the social well-being of their employees is going to be taken care of while we are all remote for a likely pretty long indefinite period of time. So I'm really just rambling, saying some musings on the state of connection and loneliness in the world. And I, of course, as always, I always say this on every episode, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from what what your loneliness and connection is feeling like these days in your world. So please reach out to me. And um, yeah, I'd love for that to be something either that you and I talk about or something that gets addressed on the podcast. So the podcast today, we have Melanie Aronson on and Melanie is the creator of an app called Panion. And I met Melanie, she was introduced to me through Kat Velos, who was on the podcast. I think Kat was like episode, I was going to say 20, but that doesn't make any sense because that was only two episodes ago. Kat was probably like 15 question mark. I don't know. Go back a few and find Kat's episode. She did an episode that's titled um, Creating a Thriving Adult Friendships. 
and uh, Kat is amazing. So thank you, Kat, for connecting me to Melanie. And Melanie works for an app or created an app called Panion. And Melanie is an American based in the based in Sweden. And um, we had a beautiful conversation around the different cultural and societal things that either uh, create or heal loneliness. And um, yeah, the ways that the world and the the social norms that we live inside of, how those things can really create loneliness in the people who live in that place. And I really loved having a, such a beautiful nuanced conversation with you, Melanie. So thank you so much for doing this. All right. So we'll get into the episode now. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening as always. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. Hi, Melanie. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What's, uh, what's been the theme of your day so far? Well, actually, I was biking around today doing errands, which include sending my passport to the migration office to apply for Swedish citizenship. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah, that's a big deal. Is that like a, I would imagine that's a whole huge process. It was a I don't really understand what happened. I applied a couple of weeks ago and everyone I know said it, it took up to two years for them to have their passport requested. And then mine got requested in a couple of weeks. So uh, I have no idea what that means. But it's pretty exciting. So I thought I would like jump on it and get it out there as soon as possible. So yes. Oh, nice. Cool. Um, well, I'm so happy that we get to sit down together today and have this conversation. And I would love for you to start by just telling everyone listening who you are and what you're about and what you're building right now. Uh, where to start? <laughs> um, so I moved to Sweden from the U.S. almost six years ago. I came on a Fulbright grant to do research on integration. Uh, the in 2014, when there was a migration influx into Europe, and I ended up sticking around because I, ha- I have a background in anthropology and documentary filmmaking, and I was making a documentary about the experience, integration experiences um, of people coming coming to Sweden from the Middle East, and I. Yeah, I I started to get a I got a lot of opportunity here. I got a lot of funding for my film projects and I also came up with this idea um during my research to try to find a way to use technology to help people integrate better. And uh that kind of evolved into this startup that I'm now <laughs> I've now founded with a team of uh almost 14, I think 14 people. Uh, so one thing led to another and I ended up in Sweden for quite a while with uh, really good support from from the government, from different culture, culture funds, from local investors. So it was hard to kind of kind of change locations when I was just getting a lot of great opportunity here. So, uh, yeah, I'm still here and working on uh, my startup called Panion, 
which is for connecting people through common interests, values, and experiences. So we also have a community building platform that helps people, organizations, and community builders uh, to build a more um, a more genuine community experience. So we're really focused on networking, building meaningful connection through commonalities, finding unlikely connections if, with people that you might not have otherwise connected with by finding these common interests and common experiences that can start off a new friendship. So it's been a pretty, I have never learned, I think I learned more in the last couple of years than I had in like all of university, mm -hmm. just through experience. So it's been pretty, pretty insightful and pretty amazing. I, I don't think that I knew that you were originally there. I knew you were there, you were originally in Sweden on a Fulbright scholarship, but I don't know if I remember you saying that it was, um, that you were researching like Middle Eastern, were, were they immigrants, refugees, or sort of like all kinds of people coming into Sweden? Um, I was interested in integration in general of people, gotcha. new people coming to Sweden, but it was during the Syrian war. Mm. So it was a, there were a lot of people coming from Syria mostly. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm also a filmmaker, so I was also making films about this topic. Mm. Um, I made, I was working on a documentary and also ended up making a fiction film around the experience of coming to Sweden as a, around a character who came to Sweden as a, a Syrian refugee. So um, I became quite involved in the community in Sweden, uh, in the, in different Middle Eastern communities in Malmo where I live and um, just really trying to understand the experience of coming from like a very communal culture into a very, the most individualistic society in the world and how that transition works socially. And through my research, I realized that just there are a lot of people who are really struggling to make new friends and to feel socially well, I think, in society because, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very, I'd say people are quite reserved. Their friends are from childhood. It's really hard to, to be included in Swedish society. Uh, and especially if you don't speak the language and I thought, you know, it's just a matter of knowing who these people are that are around you who also want to meet you. Like, if you just need a tool, a connect, a tool for connection. It's not like we're not inventing the people or, or, you know, we're not, it's just that we're like the mediator. And also I wanted to, I have a lot of opinions on social media and how it's affecting our society. <laughs> So I wanted to create a tool that empowers us and mimics the way we already socialize naturally mm -hmm. rather than create this like attention sucking, you know, distracting platform where you're, where, you know, you're sharing a lot of like insignificant content and it's a popularity contest mm -hmm. and you're like, collecting likes and follows. I wanted it to be this tool that connects people in person or to genuine online experiences and to, that focuses on, you know, improving mental health and, and wellness and building real social connections that actually impact you in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I, I want to dive into something you said around the individualism and it's something that I, I don't know much about Sweden at all, um, especially it's around its individualistic culture. But when I think about individualism and the United States, I definitely didn't even realize, and you know, this is maybe the product of anyone growing up in whatever culture they grow up and you don't realize that what, that what you're experiencing might be unique to that place. Um, but yeah, I never even would have put the word individualism to the United States until probably I started doing loneliness work and realizing like, oh wait, other parts of the world don't operate this way. And uh, we don't have this mentality around needing to get things done all by ourselves and, and just, yeah, really infrequently being in community and how, how rare of a concept that is. Um, or, or like rare isn't even the right word. It's, it's just totally foreign. Like people don't even understand it um, in the United States, in my experience, in most parts of the U.S., especially with young people particularly. And yeah, I'm curious, like what in your experience, the differences or similarities between the individualism of the U.S. and Sweden? Mm. I moved to Sweden thinking that it was going to be like a blonder version of the U.S. <laughs> and I was very, very wrong. The society is very different. The way you socialize is different. Um, just, yeah, it was, it was quite a culture shock for me, actually, coming to Sweden. And, for example, I would walk down the street and you don't really make eye contact at all with strangers here. Mm -hmm. So I would like try to smile at someone and they would like look all around them to see who I was smiling at or they would look at me like I was like crazy and mm -hmm. like they wanted to get away from me because I was just this weirdo smiling at them. Manic woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's something I shouldn't do again. And I had to like mm -hmm. make this list of all the things that I was doing wrong or like had to learn how to do properly when I moved here. Um, cause there's Sweden is like a country that has like a ton of little social codes, like informal codes that you have to follow or you're different. And in, mm -hmm. in Swedish society, like all of society is like built around trying not to be noticed and trying not to be different and to like fit the norm. And I think part of why I wanted to create Panion was because I wanted to bring a little bit of me having spent a lot of time in, in the U S in New York growing up there and like uh, our we're always trying to be like we're always trying to be unique we're always trying to stand out and, and differentiate ourselves in some yes. way and that's the complete opposite of Swedish society and I've thought a lot about this because I'm like which one do I think is healthy which one do I think is, is the right way to kind of grow up and I have to strongly say that I think a lot of people in Sweden feel very uh, lonely and misunderstood because they're trying to fit this norm that just doesn't it's not who they are and so I part of why I created Penny was like I want the people who feel like they, they're not understood to find the other people who are similarly not understood so that they can realize yes there's someone there are friends out there for everyone who you know you just aren't you just need to like find what what binds you together and and if you if you have the security of knowing that you can just access these people it in and of itself will make you feel like a little bit less lonely mm -hmm. yeah I can't remember if we had talked the first time um if I had touched on this but that I think it's Sweden Denmark and Norway are often cited as the is it the least lonely countries or the most oh. happy it's the most happy, but they're the also happy. rated the uh, hardest 
to feel at home in by foreigners mm-hmm. and the hardest to make friends in. Yeah. Can you talk about that dichotomy? Because I remember like, yeah, yeah. Again, I think sort of back in my beginning, the beginning, beginning of my journey with researching loneliness and talking about loneliness and all this of thinking like, oh, I, I, and I was, I was planning on going to Denmark, Sweden and Norway to like talk to people about their experiences with connection and all of this and basically see what we could learn from them in the United States. And, and I remember speaking to a friend of mine uh, whose family is Finnish and he was like, no, you have the wrong idea about this. Like, he's like, they've got all the resources, but like, it is not what you think it is. Like, it's not people just like frolicking around holding hands, being best friends together. And I'm wondering if you can speak to like what those statistics are really pointing to? I mean, I think when we measure happiness, we're looking at quality of life. And Scandinavia definitely has that one covered, right? I mean, you have free education, you have free or very inexpensive health care. Children, you get paid to have children. And like anything that requires like dentistry medical care for children is is free mm-hmm. um society in sweden anyways is really built to encourage you to have children and things for children are quite cheap whereas in the u.s um we are like oh we have to hit this point in our career where we have enough money to have a child right totally. so i think i think the fact that it's very comfortable and there's not a lot of hardship here Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's it it um ranks so high on the happiness scale. But actually, I've been reading um, Mark Manson books. Yeah, 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 he's great. And he's like quoting. I could actually look for the quote if you want. But like talking about how societies that have very little hardship actually end up uh, being the least happy in a sense because part of happiness is overcoming pain and having some sort of relative reference point. Hmm. You can't really feel happy if you don't know what it's like to feel sad Mm -hmm. or to feel appreciative of things you have because you once didn't have them. And I find this, this experience a lot in Sweden. I realize that people get really anxious about the smallest things. There's a lot of burnout here. People, don't have a high threshold for handling um, any sort of difficult challenges in my experience because they've been conditioned not, not to need to. And that's a really nice luxury. But in the end, I think it also makes life quite hard because when there is a hardship, like you don't, you're not equipped to handle it and you just, you can completely break down mentally, psychologically. And so, and he talks a lot about this in his book I'm reading. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast, the title of his book, like everything is, everything is fucked, I think is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting because when I read that, I was like, well, the, I came to this conclusion on my own, not mm-hmm. having read any literature about it, but it was pretty apparent to me. And I, I have a lot of friends here. Like I said, I have a lot of friends here from different countries, especially from the Middle East. And a lot of people also suffering from PTSD on their journeys here or having mm. left war. And I think a lot of people have come to the same conclusion. It's actually really hard to relate to people who have just not had the same level of hardship as you've had in your life or, or who 
perhaps trusts their government more than you do or these kinds of things where you really have to live a different kind of lifestyle and have a different mentality around how you how you go through life and how you you have your own survival mode and if you never had to be in survival mode you you just have a very different you're calibrated differently I think I appreciate you saying all that and it's it's so interesting to me I don't yeah just the the difference between happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction like all these different factors that may or may not relate to how lonely a person is um yeah what like what's your experience been like being in Sweden all these years and sort of adjusting to that and yeah I'm curious if you can speak to your own experiences of loneliness and obviously you've already said the things that led you to create Panion to create your app um and yeah what that's been like for you adjusting to this world I feel like I've become the poster child for loneliness. Like Swedish Swedish television has like contacted me and been like, or written about me. Like people have written about me and been like, this American moved to Sweden. It was so lonely. She created an app. And I'm oh like, my God. Like I'm the person that everyone just deems lonely. And therefore she, like I did something about it. And I, I won't say that that's not entirely true. Like it has been a very, uh, I've done a lot of soul searching and I've had a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of growth in a lot of, uh, growth and kind of internal reflection because you do spend a lot of time alone in Sweden. I mean, there's not really any spontaneity when it comes to socializing. So you're like booking things in advance, a couple weeks in advance to socialize mm-hmm. with people. And if you're someone who's just not good at that, you end up often not having something to do on the weekend so mm-hmm. social thing to do on the weekend and um and in general like there's this kind of weird limitation about like not seeing people the same person too much and so you just have to like have a lot of friends and and cycle through them to be able to be social all the time and it, i don't know it's it's just a bit it's a bit it is very isolating i mean most of my friends i don't have very many friends who wouldn't say that they don't feel lonely living in sweden Wow. Um, coming coming from outside but uh and in the winter and the darkness it's yeah. a whole other level but I think the pandemic was interesting because it forced me to be isolated even more than mm-hmm. I had been I'd say Sweden prepared me for the pandemic because I was already wow, like, yeah what it was like a bit um but I definitely was even more isolated with all these like kind of beautiful moments came out of it with myself where like I started reading more books and really like working on myself and like my own anxieties and all of this stuff while I was at home I found new exercise routines like I really had all this space and time to dig deeper and like try out new things and um so I guess it depends who you are but I get really bored and I love creating things and when I didn't have anything to create like externally I started like working on things internally and trying to like improve um so I think it's been tough I think it's been really tough in Sweden I can definitely say and admit and I want to admit that I've been lonely because I think it's very hard for people to admit that and I think we have this stigma around it and that's part of what we're trying to do as a brand we're trying to remove the stigma and the taboo around talking about loneliness because I think 
so many people are lonely, but everyone's afraid to say it. And if we yeah. can't talk about it, we can't resolve it. And I, I just think that why is it embarrassing to say that you're lonely? And there's so many circumstances that make you lonely. It's not like you're unlikable. It's like you mm. moved to a new place or some, you lost someone or you recently got divorced or, I mean, there's so many circumstances. Maybe you just have a certain type of personality that um, I feel like I've always had a certain type of personality where I, I don't really connect with everybody. And then right. I feel lonely that I can't find that person that gets me. I think there's just so many variations and like none of them are embarrassing. So why, yeah. why do we have this stigma and why can't we just get over it? Yeah. And we're, we're so sold this picture that like the, a lonely person is someone, I mean, the avatar that I create in my head is definitely like the weird kid who's like sitting in the corner at the party and like has no social skills and has no friends. And we're just sold like, oh, that's what loneliness looks like. And you need to watch out for the lonely people in your life and like make sure they get their connection needs filled. And it's like, we're all lonely. And like, that's not, that's like a very extreme and frankly, like pretty unlikely a picture of what loneliness is going to look like in someone. And yeah, I love that you pointed there. There's so many circumstances, like outside circumstances that could make a person lonely. And that like, mo I think most people have the feeling that even though we might have lots of friends, it doesn't mean we feel seen or known or valued by the people in our life. And I can definitely say that for myself, like a person who like, I have lots of friends. I'm, I have community here in San Francisco. I'm a leader in my community. And yet I still have felt like so much extraordinary loneliness in my life. And it's not because, yeah, it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's just like, yeah, I don't always feel known by the people in my life. I don't always feel like connected to my work. I don't always feel connected to higher power. Like there, there are just so many factors and so many avenues of loneliness and connection and we're just so sold this idea that like oh there's something inherently wrong with you as an individual again back to the individualism like there's something wrong with you if you're lonely and you don't want to let other people know about that and i think people hide behind their uh social media profiles totally uh, and that that's actually perpetuating loneliness because I don't know. I mean, this is a very common example, but we're all like watching our friends post that tiny sliver of uh, success on all their profiles when they get married and they have kids and like all of this stuff that makes you feel even lonelier if you're not doing exactly what they're doing, mm -hmm. not knowing that like there's a whole lot of shitty stuff happening in between those photographs yeah. and we're just curating what we show everyone else. So everyone thinks that everyone else is like, you know, having this perfect life. And I think that we, I think this really, really creates this, this unrealistic perspective on what our lives should look like. I'm really interested in like how you build conscious tech and how you can build tech yeah. that enhances the natural ways that you live instead of consuming you. I think we have a lot of tech that consumes us and tech, it's not the technology itself. I don't think tech is good or bad. I think that we right. need to have people creating products that really consciously care about the effects that they have on people. And, you know, it's hard also raising money in a tech company where like the the metrics that you need to hit are like how sticky and how addictive is your yeah. product. And it's like, 
I am telling investors, I don't want my product to be addictive. I want it to be helpful and I want people to use it when they need it, but I don't want you to invest and measure, invest, measure whether we're uh, investable based on how much I can, you know, create an addiction for someone when the whole point mm-hmm. of our product is to do the opposite and give them more meaning and make them feel more secure and not mm-hmm. perpetuate this like addictive social media behavior. Like that's, you know, all of us think we have all of these friends because we are actually communicating with people, but like, what is the substance of those communications and how do they support us? Are they actually supporting our social needs as human beings or are they just a facade for us and we're all just sitting there at home really lonely realizing we're not actually like getting much from that yeah and and social media is like we I mean I'm sure we could both go on and on about the the challenges with social media I'm wondering actually if you've had a similar experience with this being the what you what you named as the poster child for loneliness in Sweden um I, I've had the experience on social media because I'll tend to like post about things that are not perfect in my life. And, and I'll also like, I'll just make a caveat and say like, I'll only post about those things after I've like processed them forever and like really thought of like some beautiful articulate way to like talk about it on the internet. Like I'm not sitting there like sobbing at my computer and like writing my heart out, like on my Facebook post. So yeah, like I'll just give that caveat, but people will often give me the feedback of like, oh, it's so like, you're so real on social media. You're so authentic on social media. And I'm like, I don't know, guys, you're also missing out on like 80 to nearly 100% of like, you know, there's, there's so much I'm not saying also, of course. And I'm curious, what was the reaction to, um, that other people had towards you when you were sort of given this this title, I guess, of like the poster child for loneliness, like was, were people, was, was it stigmatized or were people like, oh, this is so amazing that like someone is talking about it? Yeah. I mean, people were like, wow, you're so brave. And (laughs) it was received in this very positive way. Mm -hmm. So imagine if everyone talked about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just sacrificing myself for the greater, <laughs> greater good, I guess, and starting the conversation, which I'm, I'm really okay with, to be honest. Like, if it yeah. actually changes the narrative, like, I don't, I don't care if everyone wants to look at me and consider me as a <laughs> Um, I do have quite a few friends. I think my mother would say that I create my own loneliness because I'm, like, I'm the kind of person that would rather have a few close friends than a ton of acquaintances. So I... I'm very like selective about like finding a really deep connection with the people around me. And, and I've always like wanted to live alone with my cats and all of these things, Mm -hmm. which I guess perpetuates my loneliness according to her anyways. So yeah. What is that like for you though? Like, do you think that, yeah, that sounds like in your mother's view, there's like the quantity over quality thing happening. Like, Oh, more friends means less loneliness. And like, what, what is that for you? I just don't think they equate. I don't I don't right. see that as like a correlation. I think it's the quality of your relationships with people that are if they're fulfilling or not. Mm-hmm. And um I think that's where we're stuck right now. Mm-hmm. I think we're stuck in finding fulfilling connections. I think this Uber capitalism that we've entered is also making people so focused on themselves that they don't know how to be a good friend. Yeah. So I think 
part of what I've struggled with was feeling disappointed in people and like their lack of support and being that one who feels like they they give a lot because they have this like really like wholesome idea of like how to be a good friend and then when it's not reciprocated you feel disappointed in someone and wanting Mm -hmm. to find those people who have the same attitude towards friendship as you do and who want to put the same amount of effort in and I think that's really hard to find uh so I think you know I in some sense I I guess I blame capital like some form of capitalism (laughs) but I think there's like a lot of reasons the social media I think that there's a lot of mental health struggles these days which makes it hard to focus and give when you're like really trying to figure out your own shit as well so I think there's a lot what are the qualities for you that are most important in yeah, the friendships that you have and the things that, and maybe I'm curious also if those things have like evolved the more that you've done this work. Yeah. Um, I think security is a big issue. Hmm. I think being able to rely on people and know that what, when, what they say they mean, and that if you really need someone in a difficult time, that they're going to be there for you. Um, and they can like put you first on occasion when it's really important instead of themselves. Um, Obviously honesty and communication is really important, I think as well. Uh, Having similar communication styles where you really understand each other and there's not like a ton of miscommunication about different expectations. Um, I think I'm also drawing here on dating. (laughs) (laughs) It's relevant. I mean, it's kind of similar, right? Like, you totally. just, like you, when you're dating, it's just more like a friendship with some extras. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, I think I would have to think more about to have a really comprehensive list for you. Mm. But um, I think it's about authenticity. I think one of the things that I struggle with and me being picky about people I connect with is that I feel very exhausted by people that can't be their authentic selves. I think that it's like something I've worked hard on and I've embraced. And it's like a stage that you hit when you're like developing as an adult. And if other people can't get to that stage, it's hard to relate. It's hard to relate or it just feels exhausting to be around because they tend to be like quite focused on themselves or they tend to be really insecure and like, you know, I mean, it's just, and I, I don't blame anyone for it. Like it's a hard, it's really hard to have confidence in today's world, but I think it's, it's hard. Like I want people who are just like, I'm weird or I'm this or I'm that. And, and I'm just going to be me. And I think that's just always been the easiest type of person for me to relate to. And I think that that can be hard to find sometimes because we have so many pressures to be so many things that we aren't. And so yeah, I appreciate you naming that. And that's, yeah, because at first what I was hearing you say is that like authenticity is in some ways a form of maturity, which which I agree with. Like, y- yes and no, and that like little kids are like way more authentic than like any adult that I know. And so there's, and, and then like we forget and then we sort of relearn in some ways as we as we get older. Or I guess we unlearn would be like the better word. I, I struggle with the same thing. I'm like hearing a lot of my own thoughts echoed in what you're saying with like, oh, it's exhausting to me to be around like inauthentic people. And 
I have such a hard time, even just yesterday, actually, I was facilitating um, this like connection practice for some folks. And I was like conversing with this one dude and he just seemed, um, I mean, super kind and like a, a genuine person, but like there was something that just seemed really guarded. And I think it was mostly just that he, I would assume he hasn't had practice speaking in the types of languages and like uh, levels of vulnerability that the practice was was like maybe asking him to and uh which is fine and but yeah there's this level of me that like wanted to just like rattle him and be like oh like wake up like get out of this like prison that you're inside of and on the one hand for me it feels like really unfair for me to ask that of someone and I wanted to connect with him so bad and and I was getting like halfway there like really good halfway there, but the other half just felt really cut off. Um, and it, to me, seemed like he didn't even realize that he was cutting off this piece of vulnerability because he wasn't used to accessing it. And I'm making a lot of assumptions right now, a lot of assumptions. But um, yeah, I find that to be a really big challenge of like giving people grace for being inside the same society that I'm in that makes us, you know, tells us to be all these things that are not who we are. Um, and really wanting people to like wake up and get out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally relate. <laughs> yes. How do you, as a person who so values authenticity and, and that it can be difficult to find um, maybe in the level that you practice it, how do you maintain levels of connection? Do you find other ways, are there other avenues of connection in your life that also feel meaningful that aren't necessarily like intersocial connections? Is being social with yourself still being social I mean (laughs) I'd say it's a different I would I would call it a different category personally okay yeah it's interesting I mean I spent all this time in I guess quarantine I wouldn't call it quarantine because I live in Sweden in a country where they didn't really issue any sort of lockdown so mine was like a it was like a I elected to be in quarantine (laughs) (laughs) so um but I spent a lot of time with my cats Mm mm-hmm kind of felt like I had this like new relationship with them as beings and Mm -hmm. like really like tried to savor the the moments that we spent together or if we had this like moment where like you know we're to fall asleep in the sun on the bed Mm -hmm. and like moments where I think I'm trying not to take these things for granted or to not like live in the present moment when I have these connections um, like with with an animal, like in general, yeah. I feel a lot of connection to animals. Mm-hmm. Um, when I meet other animals, even like animals that are not pets, yeah, um, I I do feel a lot of kind of connection. And I and my dad actually like has this weird. He's always just been able to like go to any animal, and the animal like likes him and trusts him and I was always like wow that's so weird and then I was I kind of have that sometimes too and I think it's just about like not having fear and 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 being very open to to connection and animals can sense that um so I've been exploring that I've also explored um socializing with myself and trying to do a lot of meditation trying to really dig into why my mind never shuts off like everyone else's and those kinds of things. Also, I'd say connecting with the things that I like to do that are not work-related. So, and trying to have the ultimate, trying to enjoy it as much as possible rather than doing it 
um, unconsciously where, where I'm like, you know, maybe cooking, for example, I really like food and cooking. And mm-hmm. if I'm cooking and I'm like doing 10 other things, I'm not really enjoying the actual act of cooking. But if I can say, okay, I'm just going to cook, I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to really like enjoy this practice and connect with it and like savor it. I think being alone during during this pandemic has like kind of gotten me into a space where I'm doing that more and appreciating it. And maybe that's just getting older. Like now I was always like, why are my parents just like read a book on the balcony and like, they don't get bored and they just want to like appreciate nature and just sit there and, and, and you want to do a thousand things when you're young. And now I'm like becoming that person who's like, all I want to do is read a book on my balcony and like have a quiet, calm, you know, day. Oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you speak to is just like a different level of presence and, and yeah, giving, giving more attention and presence to like the the simpler things. And I think I've heard a lot of people echo that same sentiment being in quarantine and not having, yeah, we just don't have all of our distraction, distractions available to us, um, which is such a gift, such a gift. Um, beautiful. Well, I want to be mindful of our time. Um, and I want to do two things before we close. Um, one, I would first, I would love for you to tell us where we can find out more about you and about Panyon. Um, and then I want to ask you a series of lightning rounds questions that I'm asking all my guests. I'm nervous about those. Ah, okay, great. <laughs> and well, I can just say we, I mean, you can find us at panion.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we're available on iOS and Android in the, in the stores. So you could just download the app as an individual user and like hop on and see who's around you, uh, start meeting people right away. Um, and also if you're a community builder of some sort, if you have a large network and you're looking for a platform to, to help the people within that network form more meaningful connections, uh, we have a, demo request on our website and so it'll probably be me who hops on and um shows you the platform and talks to you more about what, what we can offer so and i don't know where you can learn more about me i mean i have i have what my own websites or my films and stuff like that but um, yes what is your website we want to know <laughs> I'm very Googleable, actually. I think I'm one of the most Googleable people that's not famous. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I have melaniearonson.com and I have a film company called Eyeing the World, uh, which is eyeingtheworld.com and I'm on Instagram, Eyeing the World. And so you can see my photography and my films and all of that as well. And I think they're quite closely related to the app. It's all about, you know, identity and mm. uh integration and like social issues and you know it's all pretty pretty similar and it's interesting like as I've had more interviews I've looked back at my like life and realized that there were so many moments and things that I worked on that actually led up to creating Panion but I had never noticed um like I had you know written a 60 page paper for my anthropology thesis on the emergence of digital digital communities that were transcending into, into, um, into the real world connections. And my case study was couch surfing. And I actually like sat with the founder who lived around the corner from me in Manhattan and interviewed him and wrote like all this, like this whole like academic paper on it. And now I'm like creating my own uh, 
online community that helps people meet in real life. So I, it's interesting to just like think like, how did I get here and realize, oh, wow, there's so many steps along the way that actually led me right into this very moment. So, Oh, I love that. Are you ready for your lightning round questions? Does that mean they get asked really fast and I have to answer them really fast? You know, it's funny because people always ask me that and I'm like, honestly, no, not at all. Like totally take your time. Like I don't even need fast answers. Okay. All right. Your first question is what is something that most people wrongly assume about you? Um, hmm. People often think I'm like this very quiet person that follows rules. Ooh, what's the truth? Um, I look quite young for my age and I'm very small. And so people think that I'm like this quiet, timid person who like doesn't take risks and maybe like, you know, and I'm kind of the opposite. I've like lived in many countries, traveled to like over 40 countries, done some pretty risky things in my life. Um, but I kind of like to... I don't like to lay all my cards on the table from the beginning. Yes. So I like people to discover that over time. So yeah. Oh, I can, I can relate to that. Um, what is something that you would like to be acknowledged more for in your life? Um, hmm. That's a really tough question. Hmm. I think I'm starting to get some of this acknowledgement, but, and I don't know if it's acknowledgement or just recognizing this, but it's very hard to run a company as an empath, I have a lot of too much empathy sometimes. And I think that some somehow some people equate that to like weakness or not being able to stand your ground or do make the right business decisions. And I'm obviously, you know, I've grown a lot to be able to do that and not feel bad for everybody. But um, I would like people to recognize that it's actually a strength even in business yes especially in business hell yeah um what do you think most people learn from you I think I like to challenge what people say a lot I think I like to kind of say well there's this other perspective you might not have thought about and so I think it's not like one thing that people learn but I think in general, urging people to have another, another perspective on something, um, or to, to be a bit argumentative sometimes and challenging people to really like, um, consider the other side of something or that there are many sides to something. Okay. And last question, what is one of your favorite questions to ask other people to help you to get to know them? I don't know if there's one question. I think that one thing I've noticed that's really interesting is like in Swed in Swedish culture, like it's considered, it's a very, there's a lot of, people are always trying to respect your privacy. It's very non-confrontational and everything is private. And I think that yeah. in the US, we're taught that if you ask questions, it shows genuine interest in someone and that it's actually like, Mm -hmm. showing that you want to get to know someone better and I've noticed this when I've gone on dates in Sweden mm -hmm. or when I've just built new friendships that like sometimes people don't ask anything about you and you're like why do you want to be my friend or why do you want to get to know me because you don't seem like you want to get to know me you haven't like asked anything about who I am and right. I think they're actually trying to respect my privacy and it's not actually 
the lack of interest, it's like um, there's a different boundary and that they can get there. They have a different pace in getting to know someone. And I also think that I've struggled a lot with being too open and really, hmm. really just like being like, hey, I'll answer any question you want to know about me or, or something like that. And I think that I've noticed in different cultures, there's different lines and you really have to be conscious of that. And you really have to like take your time. I think some people really uh, need to take their time with, with getting to know someone and also letting things out about themselves. See, okay, there is there is no singular favorite question, but yeah. yeah, there's... Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of reading around questions to ask when you're interviewing employees and stuff, but I don't... Totally. I don't know. I don't... I, I don't... Uh, I think there's a lot of good questions that give you information, but I don't have one singular question I ask people when I'm trying to get to know them. I think I'm trained... I'm trained as a documentary filmmaker, so I ask follow-up questions very well based on the direction that people go in just to understand them deeper and I think it depends on the person well Melanie thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today to to sit down and speak with me and yeah I'm so grateful that we got to talk about all of these things and yeah especially to just have uh have some commentary on like the rugged individualism of the U.S. and it sounds like Sweden as well very much so and yeah to be able to speak to that a bit and to and I'm so grateful that you're bringing more connection into people's lives in a way that feels meaningful and not draining and addictive the way that so many other pieces of technology are building connection. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for you. I'm appreciative that you took your time today to have this conversation. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed uh, diving a little deeper into these topics as well. All right, everyone, that is the episode with Melanie Aronson. Definitely check out her app. And thank you so much for listening. I love you all so much. And I'll be back next week with the next episode.